I watched all those stupid, well, some of them, some of those, you know, nine for nine. I honestly used to watch a minute and a half and go, fuck it, I'm done. And then just, and then put the phone down. So I honestly never watched some of them because it's like, I can't, I look and go, seven minutes. How can you watch him putt for seven minutes for crying out loud? What a waste of space. Yeah, what a waste of my life. You know, <laughs> done. Where is he? He's late. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. Welcome to the fire pit with Matt Janella. Good to be back. Hope you and your family had a safe and healthy holiday. This particular fire pit is coming in a little hot. Sir Nick Faldo off the top giving Sam Riggs bazillion shit about his short game. To which it just brings more energy and eyeballs to the conveyor belt of content coming from Barstool Riggs, his social and digital channels, all of vertical under the umbrella of Barstool Sports. I met Riggs at Bandon Dunes last year. He was a guest of a buddy on my annual buddy's trip, the Uncle Tony Invitational. He was a blast. To say what you see is what you get isn't exactly accurate. What you see is about half of what you get. But as he says, it comes from a great place. He's got a big heart, healthy and infectious attitude with just the right amount of reverence for history, integrity, loyalty, and tradition. That's not to say he won't pass out on the putting green. But in the end, no harm, no foul. And don't look now, he's a ton of fun. If you got a problem with that, then you're probably not sitting at this pit anyway. Today you're going to learn a lot more about Riggs, who's 33, from St. Charles, Missouri, where he took up the game of golf as a kid. Uh, my dad got me into it, and we really didn't even play much golf. We would just go to the driving range. I remember that I loved the putting green, and I liked hitting balls a little bit, and we, we didn't really play a ton of golf, and we did all kinds of sports. I mean, hockey was my big sport, but my dad my parents always pushed playing a little bit of everything, so golf was kind of just like one of the sports that I played. Riggs found enough success in both the books and on the ice to play hockey at Harvard. So, yeah, I mean, I was on at one point, I think I was a B-list central scouting, which meant, you know, that I would probably be a top uh, three, you know, three or four rounder in the NHL draft. And then I just, when I went to college, I, I didn't have the like comprehensive drive that you have to have. Like I didn't, I would show up on the ice and I'm fiercely competitive and I, and I was skilled. But like everyone else, the, you know, the guys that made it were eating right. They're cooking, kind of grilling their own chickens so that they wouldn't eat like the wrong stuff. They're working out nonstop. They're stretching off ice. I didn't have any of that. I just wanted to go drink and hang out with my buddies and play fucking golf. And that's pretty much what I wanted to do. So, uh, so th that was kind of when I realized, you know, I'm not going to play in the NHL. I'm just kind of more of a, a, of a, you know, hang guy. And golf is a lot more suitable for that. So I sort of phased out of hockey and into, into more golf. What Riggs lacked in passion and perseverance on the ice, he put into getting a gig at Barstool Sports, which at the time was an emerging movement hitched to the trailer of Dave Portnoy and his relentless onslaught of pop culture commentary and content. Riggs wrote and pitched blogs, articles, and opinions to Portnoy. No shock, Riggs warmed down. I actually got brought on to write about politics um, because it was 2016, like Trump was becoming a thing. Barstool wasn't covering politics because Dave was like, we just like to make people laugh. Why would we get polarizing? Why would we create this polarizing type content? I said, no, I'll do it in a way that that is not 
taking sides, not polarizing. I'm just laughing and poking fun at what the hell is going on in politics. Once in the door, Riggs pitched Portnoy on a golf blog and eventually a podcast, which he launched with his friend Trent Ryan at the 2017 Waste Management Phoenix Open. On February 1st, 2017, Riggs wrote, quote, Just over 24 hours after its announcement and 12 hours after the first episode went live, Foreplay is the number one sports podcast in the universe and number six overall. Riggs and Trent filled a need to not only test the narrow fairways of the sport, but also the pack of reporters and writers who cover it. I think Jeff Shagaford's a great example. I think if people were are ever on the fence or they have a certain sort of um, thought of like who we are and what we do, and it's it's the wrong thought, that like I would point them towards. I think it was in January we had Jeff Shagaford on the show, and I think that they would they would listen to that show, that podcast, and go, "Holy shit! Like, okay, these guys, you know, we're not afraid. We're gonna, we're happy to to talk it out with you. We believe we come from the right place." And that place is we fucking love golf and we love to have fun. There it is again, a love for golf and fun. Go figure. That and the ongoing struggle to get better. I think one of our greatest assets is that we all pretty much suck at golf. I think that that's people, people try to chirp us all the time. And I think that in the, in the golf industry, there is an element of like protecting the belief that you're a, you're a stick, that you're a player because otherwise folks think you lose your credibility. And our take on it is, bro, go look at the handicaps, like uh, dispersion, like 95% of people fucking suck at golf. So like they love it and they suck at it. And like, it's, it might be they're trying to break 100 or trying to break 90 and like they're hitting awful shots and I'll, I'll post a scorecard where I'll go, you know, double, double, bogey, triple, birdie, birdie. And people are like, that's my guy. Like, hell yeah, like, let's go. The story we tell today is that of Riggs escaping New York City to quarantine at the Pinehurst Resort in North Carolina. He stayed there, playing an assortment of Pinehurst 10 courses and others in the area for 99 days. Riggs literally rocked the cradle of American golf for more than three months straight, and in doing so, forged a friendship with Tom Pashley, president of Pinehurst. And he just loves golf. I mean, I could see... Going to a play, I mean, he came out and played every day. It just was nonstop. And you have to love the game to come out and play it as much as he did. And he shared it with other people. And so uh, he is a the number one fan of the game right now. And he's sharing it with a very wide audience. And I think uh, I think we should, as we did, find ways to, to support what he's doing and get behind it. Going back to the beginning, it was March 16th when Riggs sent Pashley a text. Quote, all right, I believe I'm fleeing New York City for Pinehurst and just winging it. I'd rather be shut down there than here. I'd forgotten that, that, but that is. I mean, that's pretty much exactly how this whole 99 days thing came to be. It was, uh, it was just, I saw the writing on the wall. Things were getting bad. New York City you know, now we've kind of, New York's been through it. Everybody was aware of it, that New York was the epicenter. But at the time, it was a couple hundred cases, and it wasn't it wasn't too crazy, but people were worried that it was going to be. And I simply said, you know, I, I don't want to be caged in my shoebox apartment in Manhattan. I want to I wanna be somewhere where I can do stuff, where I can be out and about, um, where I can be on a golf course, where I can film stuff, where I can kind of not be stuck in my Manhattan apartment. <laughs> it was like, all right, we're in. Yeah, you know, we'll figure it out. Let's go. The the part of that text that I cut out when I sent it to you was my reply, which was, 
LFG. It was a phenomenon. And and you, you kind of knew it while it was happening. You're like, this is probably never gonna happen again. Uh, we, we hope it never happens again in our lifetime that someone has to stay here for 99 days. I've not seen it. And you know, everyone's quarantined. I've not seen anybody else who, who documented their quarantine for three months. Um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, who knew that innocent enough text message would lead to a lifetime of memories. We'll get the essence of most of those memories, and we have more than 10 voices to help us do it. But for now, it's March 18th, also known as Day 1 of 99. Yeah, I flew. I bought a flight. I think my flight was 62 bucks at the time, and I just got a flight from New York to, uh, to, to, to Raleigh and then just took an Uber, which was 50 or 60 bucks or whatever it is, from Raleigh, from RDA to uh, Pinehurst. And I didn't even know if I had, I didn't know what my situation was. Cause like, you know, Hash is the president of a massive, iconic, prestigious resort. And he's going through the fact that the whole world's shutting down, including his resort. So I don't want to be bothering him with like, Hey, do I have a hotel room? So I just, I had said that text and, and, and I, you know, he had said a couple of things back, but there was no real confirmation and I didn't need it. I was like, that's fine. I'll go down and book a room at the Carolina and I'll figure it out for a few days and we'll just see what happens. Well, I get down there and I, you know, I go through all this. I finally just arrive at Pinehurst. You know, they pull, my Uber pulls right up in the, in the little awning there and, and there's Barry and Kevin and the guys at the front door who I didn't really know at the time. They were just kind of, you know, the guys that welcome you and say, welcome to Pinehurst, welcome home. And, uh, and I hopped out. And I just went to the front desk. I was, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm not sure if you uh, you have me in the system or not. But, uh, but you know, like Sam Bazoyan or maybe Riggs that, that I'll be under. And and uh, I'd love to just book a room if you don't have me in there. And they're like, oh, no problem, you know, Mr. Bazoyan. Like, um, please follow us this way. And, of course, Pash had put me in the fucking presidential suite at, at the Carolina Hotel. <laughs> You know, it, that's part of the beauty of being in the hospitality business. We can do things like that that are unexpected, a total surprise. You're right. We we had plenty of room. And, and so why not? Why not go over the top and, and show him some world-class Pinehurst hospitality? And uh, he stayed in that presidential suite, I think, for the first week that he was here. And then we ended up closing the Carolina Hotel. He was probably the saddest person when that when that decision was made because it meant he had to get out of the presidential suite and fend for himself which he which he did through a variety of properties while we were closed so let's see i started at the carolina hotel at the presidential suite couple three weeks later maybe i moved to um a home about you know a block away from the carolina hotel then a few weeks after that i moved to another home down on donald ross drive so that was three then four was this other little home we stayed at for a couple of weeks with a pool. And then five was a condo across from the 17th green on course number five. So right across the main road there. And then six, I was back in the Carolina hotel and I stayed there for about a month at the end. So I believe I stayed in six different places while I was there. What Riggs does is deliver. What he delivers is social and digital experiences relating to golf. If he sees it, likes it, he does it and posts it. His content is like the weather in Ireland. If you don't like what you're getting, wait 10 minutes. Something else is coming. And at Pinehurst, he had the run of the place. 
I'd love to hear about how he started the Daily Nine and how that began. And, and I remember uh, I didn't know if it was going to stick or not, but he stuck with it. And, and you're right. You just, whether he was trying to, you know, hit, just land a ball on a green or land a ball in a bunker, the interactions that he was having with Nick Faldo became, you know, fodder for everything. It just, there were so many layers. It was a, a, a multi-layer uh, cake that, that you got to devour every night when you got home to see where, where did the Daily Nine take place today. Riggs provides more background on the Daily Nine, in which Riggs tried to successfully hit nine putts or chips each day from a different spot playing a variety of shots. I mean, I knew quarantine was going to be a thing for everybody, right? So I was like, if what's like a relatable thing? People are working on their game, something simple, they're putting. And that's pretty much where it started. It was like I was just putting at a mat in my apartment because that was the only thing I could do. And, um, and so I just started cranking these videos. And I was like, well, now that I'm a pioneer, so I can get a little bit more creative. I could chip. I could play a hole. I could really do whatever I wanted. But it was a way for me pretty much every single day to put out something, like some sort of video golf content. And, um, and people loved it. So, like, it, it got the engagement going. It got the chatter going. Nick Faldo was in there roasting me. Um, Max Homa, JT, like, these guys are all in there roasting me and chirping me. And that's good. Like, that's good for business. As long as you don't care, like, how you're actually playing. Like, as long as you get over the fact that you're not that good. Like, I know I'm not that good. I don't make every putt I hit. So, clearly, there's something wrong. So, as long as you get over that, it's great. It's like people were engaged. People were reacting to it. Um, it's getting hundreds of thousands of views a day. So I just started doing the daily nine every day. And I, I mean, I still do it pretty much every day. As Pashley pointed out earlier, Sir Nick Faldo stumbled upon some of this stuff on his social feeds and he tries to explain the success. You know, life's a, life's a bitch. And then you sit there and watch Riggs putt. I mean, my God, <laughs> what could be worse? I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it, I think that's what it is. You, when you're feeling down and feeling sorry for yourself and you think, God, life is tougher. You know, I'm avoiding COVID-19, the stock market's crashed, the budget's got hemorrhoids. And then you look at his stroke and you go, ah, oh, not everything in life is really bad in my life. Although Riggs and his content more specifically his putting stroke, aren't for everyone. He could care less. He's committed to his craft and his followers, and he was very content at the Carolina Hotel. He took the quarantine very seriously and, and was distancing, and I didn't see him, I don't think, for the first two weeks of his stay. I just didn't want to get in his space because he really did want to maintain his distance. Um, but he, he, he early on left a note for the housekeeping staff. He left a note, wrote it on a piece of paper, and like we put it outside of his bedroom in the presidential suite. So someone came in the suite, got to the bedroom. There's a note that says, hey, uh, you know, no need to offer services given everything that's going on, probably just not, not required at this time. And within, you know, 30 minutes of someone seeing that note, I get a, a picture of it and everybody thinks he is quarantining in Piners because he has COVID. So he caused a slight little panic early on in his stay because he was like, no, no, you stay away. And they thought it was because he was the one that was, was infected. And anyhow, it was, it was a very thoughtful note, but it, it, it went the wrong way quickly. That was probably the first and last time he did anything in 99 days that went the wrong way. As you'll hear throughout this episode and the next, 
The reason why this is such a compelling narrative is because Riggs' trip to Pinehurst was so much more than just made or missed putts. It was about the development of interpersonal relationships, trying to stay positive and productive through some trying times. I do think that sort of um, me becoming one with the town or however you want to describe it, it got to that point where it was like, no, I am getting my coffee from from the same folks each morning and I'm getting the same order for lunch. And and now it's beyond just what would you you know, what would you like for lunch? It's more like, oh, how how was that round last night? Did you get out of the cradle again? I did. And they'll be like, oh, I saw that that video. What's up with that 12 year old who smoked you on the golf course? You know, and so it was like I, I started to build these relationships with people, which then made it, you know, that then made it feel like. I was at home and it is probably a result of um, a desire for that. You know, it was probably a result of like, I, I wanted there to be a home and, and I didn't want to go to my actual home back in St. Louis or, or, you know, be with my parents. I was afraid I was going to bring this disease to them and they're older and I didn't know how that would handle it. So I didn't want to be that guy. So I was kind of stuck a little bit. I don't want to go to New York. So, so here I was, you know, stuck air quotes, if you, if you will, in, in Pinehurst and tried to make the best of it. And, and luckily I became pretty tight with those people, which I think everybody saw. 10 days into the trip, while Riggs was still going about his business, the resort was furloughing a majority of the staff, but Pinehurst leadership had a plan to help their cause. We dreamed up the auction to try to, to do some good for all the hundreds of employees that had been impacted. And as we came up with these amazing Pinehurst experiences, we're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to, promote this? How are we going to let people know about it? And none of us feel comfortable going on Instagram live and, and talking about things for an extended period of time. And so the, the light bulb went off. It was really hard, obviously, on the people who were laid off. So he was trying to very hard come up with ideas. Like, I think, you know, I think we have a lot of really cool things at Pinehurst that without too much hard cost to us, we could offer up that I think people would really love. What do you what do you think about this, Riggs? You know, I was like, I think that's a great idea. The Dornick Cottage is a really good example of like something that they, you know, bought and renovated and, and restored, but they cherish it. They don't let just really anybody go rent it and stay there. It's it's to be protected and used, you know, strategically and, and when they really want it. And so he's like, you know, we can offer that up. And we just kind of started brainstorming and, you know, passionately kind of led the entire thing. But um, but he asked, he's like, would you offer up a couple items and would you be willing to kind of bring the auction home, do like the final home stretch, go on Instagram live and see if we can push those numbers up? It's like, absolutely. So just even in kind of building out the idea for the fundraiser, you kind of, I learned a lot about why they were doing it, where the money was going to go, how, you know, and why it was important. And so, yeah, so we offered up three or four different things. I think that the, op- uh, the auction items that I put up you know, a um, couple spots at the Barstool Classic, a match against me at Pioneer's number four. I think they ended up totaling over 50 grand, just the items that, that we put up. And then, you know, they raised Pinehurst over $300,000 total. I think they were around 200,000 when we started the Instagram Live. I spoke for 30 minutes straight like a psychopath walking around the the, uh, the pro shop at Pinehurst where they opened it up and, and just kind of highlighted different things and, and spoke by myself. Ben Bridgers is Pinehurst Director of Golf. It was a great moment for all of us because, you know, I think that's what he does. You, you know, people listen to him and he's definitely an influencer. And for, for I think that was one of those things where we, we knew who he was as a person because he cares about people and he wanted to help us and, and our employees. And, 
know, he's obviously starting to have a, you know, having a better time. And, and I think you just really got engaged to it. And uh, so the members were tuning in and just uh, locals were tuning in. And it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, people came over to me for weeks after that, that it might be the superintendent or it might be um, someone who doesn't even work at the resort, but but who works in the village and lives in the village and stop me and say, hey, you know, I got I got a lot of guys on my staff who got laid off because of this. And like what you've been doing the last week with with Pashley and with Piners, like meant a lot to those people, you know, so it was like. And to me, it was nothing. It was like, yeah, just go on Instagram Live at 8 p.m. and and talk about Piners. How hard could that be? But like, but to them, it meant so much, you know. And I do think you're right, Maddie G. And that like that moment sort of took it from, hey, I'm on like kind of a a weird like pseudo vacation thing to like, no, I'm now like part of this team, and this team is trying to to get through this tough time. And, and I was very much supplanted on that team and I was, I was there to help. And that kind of, I guess, catapulted me into this relationship with more than just the golf courses and the golf resort, but like with the people, which, which obviously culminated the other day. So the rig's root system is starting to take hold, but how is he getting around town? Barksdale and, and Bridgers got me a golf cart, right? So they were like, Hey, you know, our shuttle service is shut down. We know you don't have a car down here. We'll give you, you want to borrow one of our golf carts. And so I would legitimately got a golf cart from the main clubhouse where all their carts are. They gave me a charger, a golf cart charger. I drove it to the Carolina hotel. Then my guys, Kevin, Barry, uh, Ryan, Charles, who run the the entrance there and the front door, the bell hops at the Carolina hotel, um, would charge it and watch over it all night, every night. And when I get up in the morning, I walk right out, boom, there's my golf cart sitting right next to the Carolina hotel. Hop in it, go over to the golf course. One guy facilitating a lot of Riggs golf itinerary was David Galinsky, the first assistant golf professional. He made lifelong friends here. Um, I consider him a great friend now, but it all started with one cradle match, one $50 cradle match at 515. Back to Tom Pashley for some perspective. For whatever reason, Riggs and, and Galinsky hit it off. And they became kind of a regular uh, cradle afternoon. They had a regular game, 5.30 every afternoon on the cradle. That crowd would get together and uh, they would they would uh, just kind of attract people as they went. So by the time they would leave the clubhouse, by the time they got to the first tee of the cradle, there might be eight people in tow. And uh, it was actually kind of a cool scene. I think, uh, I don't know that our people used to play that much golf, but when, when they got the, the invitation from Riggs, they were always quick to say yes. The Cradle is the 789-yard, nine-hole, par-three course that was built by Gil Hansen, opened in 2017, which was yet another modern enhancement to an otherwise storied resort. It's a fun factory, a memory maker suitable to not only Riggs and his shenanigans, but it works for everyone, which is why it's so popular. And at one point, Riggs made a hole-in-one. Yeah, second hole at the Cradle. Got my first ace. We played the cradle. I mean, I probably played the cradle over a hundred times while I was there. And so it kind of became like, man, I'm really going to need to get an ace at some point. And you come close a lot. I mean, if you play the cradle a good amount, like you're going to come close. You're going to hit shots that that spin or catch a hill and go right by the hole and everybody's going to get excited. And, and yeah, the second hole at the cradle colonnade, it's called, it's a beautiful colonnade in the, in the clubhouse in the background. I think it was like 80 yards, 70 yards, something like that, that day. Pin was in kind of the middle left little bowl, and I hit a perfect 58 degree. It landed like eight feet behind it, started spinning back towards the pin, 
and we were like, go, 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 go. And then it looked like it stopped and then it fell in and everybody, everybody went absolutely crazy. And that's to this day, it's the only ace I've ever had. And I'm, I mean, I think it's about as cool of an ace as you can have. And back to Pashley for his perspective. I think he's played the cradle more times than I have. And uh, I've, I've had two aces on the seventh hole. So it's just from a statistical standpoint, it's probably a little disappointing to only have one on, on the second hole. Um, but it, it's, it's the icing on the cake for him to have been able to be at Piners for so long, to have his first hole in one, to have it happen on the cradle around other people, you know, to, to be able to celebrate it with other folks. Um, he really does, you know, his, 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 um, his style and, and his acceptance of the cradle, the amount of fun that he has while he's playing golf, the, the social aspect of the game that he's so good at celebrating is, is what the cradle is all about. So it's only fitting that he would find a way to, to eke out one ace on the cradle. In terms of these moments, these memories, we're just getting started. At this point, Riggs is getting in deep, not only with the culture and community, but specifically with Galinsky and now Galinsky's bride-to-be. That was sort of my my bridge into the, the community beyond Ashley was was Dave. And, and from that moment on, you know, we started playing our $50 game, our, our long-standing game on the cradle. And um, and now, I mean, I'm going to Dave's wedding, and I was slotted to introduce him and his wife, him and his um, fiance Kayla, you know, literally at their wedding reception. So he and I became very, very close, and he is a, a hilarious little guy. He's the best. Yeah, I get married on July 18th, and him and his girlfriend are coming. Um, he'll actually announce us at our wedding. You know, how cool is that? Meanwhile, a man named Mike Myers of Cleveland, Ohio, had also decided to quarantine to Pinehurst. He brought his wife and four kids to their second home to get away from the big city and get closer to his parents, who were members at the Country Club of North Carolina. Mike's son, Peter, who's 12, is an accomplished junior golfer. I didn't really uh, follow the foreplay crew, but um, the, my two sons, the two older sons that I have, are really into it. And so, you know, Pinehurst is a small town, and so we saw Riggs bouncing around and everyone talking about it. And there was just like a Sunday morning where I just reached out over Instagram and just said, hey, my sons would love more than anything to play with you. And I, and it was more also an invitation of just like, do you want to play CCNC? Because it's, you know, it's different and it's, so it's kind of like, Hey, if you would like to come play dogwood, we'd love to have you rounds on us and the boys would love it. And, and then I just kind of threw in there, by the way, uh, my 12 year old will take you down from whatever tees you want to play. And yeah, I mean, we get, you know, look, we get, we get messages and challenges from people all the time that are, you know, I, I want to take you on, come play me in a match. But when a kid's 12 years old and DMs me and is like, hey, I'm 12, you're 33, I'm going to beat you in golf. I was like, that's, that's a no-brainer. Like, I'll, yeah, I have to do that. So it was kind of a, it was as simple <laughs> as the optics of like this little 12-year-old child preteen is going to take on me at, at golf. When I say Pete Myers is an accomplished junior golfer, uh, I've won over 50 local tour events, and um, I'm just getting into some of the junior events at Pinehurst called the Red, White, and Blue Tournament and the Junior World Championships. So on May 1st, 45 days into a 99-day Pinehurst Palooza, it was game on. Mike Myers on being a little overwhelmed on behalf of his son. 
And as we got to the driving range and we saw the Raleigh News cameras on the tripods and then Brendan Jones, Rick's producer with his camera, I started getting a little nervous. He, he hit a great first tee ball, which obviously is the you know, hardest shot of the day is to get off the tee there. Riggs was standing about four feet from him, just kind of giving him the tiger stare. Um, so I was a little nervous there. They didn't, they didn't play real well in the first few holes. And so I was walking along with Brendan, the producer, and he would kind of lean over and say, we have 80,000 people on, on right now. And then I was like, what did I get my, my kid into? As for the match, as Mike said, both players were a little off early. But Riggs birdied the ninth to get to one down at the turn. So Riggs reached out to Justin Thomas on um, the front nine, and he said, can you beat a 12-year-old? And Justin Thomas replied and said, a 12-year-old, yes, the one you're playing, no. And that gave me a little confidence that, you know, I could really beat him, so. <laughs> it backfired on Riggs. He tried to reach out to Justin Thomas to get confidence and a push for himself, and it ended up being a push for you. Yeah. <laughs> so Riggs was texting Justin Thomas or tweeting him? Uh, he was texting him. And was Riggs showing you the text messages? Yeah, he was showing me and my dad. And we still have a framed picture in our house of it. Of the text exchange between Riggs and Justin Thomas saying, you can beat a 12-year-old, just not this 12-year-old. Yeah. On the 11th hole, I had like probably six, seven feet for birdie to get it to uh, one down. And I burned the edge and it went all the way around and didn't fall in. And then on the 12th hole, I again, I have like 10 feet straight up the hill for birdie. Pete's in for par. And I just didn't quite hit it enough and it, and it curled off. And then on 13, par three, it's like play like a 170 shot. He hits it to four feet and makes birdie. And at that point, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm in trouble because I think that put me like three down. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty much in trouble. And It was 13. I hit, a, I hit it on the part three to like two or three feet. And I made birdie there. And I called a three putt on 15. And he three putt. And I finished him out on 16, which was awesome. The last 10 holes were just awesome golf. If you love golf, it was fun to watch. Riggs birdie nine. Pete went after a pin that he probably shouldn't have gone after on 10, but it was a great shot and he ended up winning that hole. And so the, the, the last 10 holes were amazing. I think Riggs was like plus two and Pete might've been even. And so it was really good golf. And at that point I was like, wow, this kid really just kind of put, put everything aside was able to kind of you know grow in that in that aspect so it was fun he was like the all-star at the club at ccnc for for weeks and months afterwards everyone's coming up to him like great work pete he's like thanks guy you know i mean he's fucking 12 so um so it, it was great that was so much fun and i do wish i would have won but it's probably better that i lost like it's probably funnier and better for our brand that i lost but but it would have you know i wanted to win like i genuinely did not want to be the guy that lost to a 12 year old but he played great what are you gonna do the bet was launched. Uh, we so the next week we went over to First Shelf in Pinehurst and we we bought lunch for all the doctors and nurses helping um, save lives for the coronavirus and for everyone in the hospitals. And it was it was an awesome experience to help other people. So yet another moment, memory 
and another opportunity to make an impact and further endear himself into the fabric of the Sand Hills. But there are at least a few dudes in a few carts who were happy to see Riggs go home. It was funny. I mean, it was like mid, you know, in the heart of sort of COVID and the world being shut down and Pinehurst was pretty dead at the moment. And I went out at like 5 p.m. to film a couple videos out on Pinehurst number four. And I'm out there. And as you know, you know very well, like on course four and course two, there's just you can't ride a cart anywhere on the on the fairways or you have to stay in the cart path the whole time. So it's like you just know everybody knows that. And so the course is closed. But I had hit up and said, hey, I'm going to go out and film some things that cool. They're like, yeah, no problem. So I'm out there on the second hole and just come whizzing down the fairway or like four carts that just come whizzing down the fairway hitting shots on number four and i simply took a picture of it and just texted it to my guy dave who works in the golf shop i said hey do you know who these guys are like they might have been buddies of his who just ripped around at night it might have been totally kosher i didn't really know i was just like i just want to know if you know what's going on here so i'm sitting at dinner with my fiance and he sends me a sends me a picture of these guys in the fairway on hole 13 on course four and I was like, it didn't take me any time to respond. I said, okay, I'm taking care of it. I'm sent the Rangers headed out there. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm a, you're that means I'm a narc. Everybody's going to know that it was me. And I'm like, dude, that's against the rules. Thanks for letting us know. And Briggs is like, what the fuck? You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have said that. And yada, yada, yada. I was like, hey, dude, it's still against the rules. You did a heroic thing out there. Marshall comes out, asks him to, you know, does a little investigation. Turns out that they had snuck on the golf course uh, and, and they were asked to leave. <laughs> so I told the story on the podcast and Frankie and Trent were roasting me. They're like, what a narc, what a loser you are. And my defense, like, I'm helping out my guys. Like, they're, you know, they're just trying to do their job. You can't be driving the carts all over. If these guys were just walking down the course, I wouldn't have even said anything. But, like, you're driving the carts all over. You can't be doing that. It crossed it, – it ended up on my radar. I put it on their radar. They got kicked off the course. What are you going to do? Well, Frankie was like, what do you think? You're like the moral compass of Pinehurst. Um, and I was like, ha-ha, whatever. And we, we moved on, and that was it. And as he's telling this story to his, his buddies, who sometimes sneak on golf courses themselves, I believe, one of them says – who are you? The moral compass of Pinehurst? Meet Frankie Borelli, one of Riggs' co-hosts of the Four Play podcast. You know, we like to give each other shit. That's what we are. That's the type of podcast we are. So, um, and Riggs, we like to tell Riggs that he takes the game extremely seriously, and and that's a good thing. We, I think, we have four different views of the game of golf on one podcast. I think that's what makes us a little bit different, right? Like Riggs takes things super seriously. He wants to win everything he plays. He's very He's very much comes from that angle of like, this is the way you do things on the golf course, but we still can have fun, but like, make sure you go by like the standards or whatever. And so like, we like to give him shits up from time to time and, and him being at Pinehurst for 99 days and seeing some guys driving up on, on the golf course that he's at taking videos all over the place and, and taking pictures of them. It just felt a little dirty to us. Um, and I've often, I even said this to Pashley. I'm like, you know, we gave him shit on the podcast, but there's no denying that that's the right move to, to, you know, they're giving him all this access to this golf course. He's raised a ton of money. They have a great relationship, which we'll talk about later. Um, but it's just the picture and rigs and everything about that scenario just came off very rigs to us. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like it's very stereotypically rigs for him to take a picture of guys playing the golf course and send it out like it was uh i don't know like the biggest crime in the world that's it that's perfect that's that you know we have a new mascot 
Sam Riggs Bazoian, the moral compass of piners. I'm Googling, uh, you know, gift items. I'm trying to find compasses for sale, spend a decent amount of time picking just the right compass engraved, affix a putter boy logo to it, a beautiful uh, brass ball mark uh, that fits the thing perfectly and presented it to him um, in a, in a, understated ceremony really for given the honor and the prestige that comes with it well like a week later pashley shows up and he had i guess um he so he had a compass an old wooden compass that when you open it right it's like um you know it's 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 like a box it's like a compass in a box and when you open the box on the underside of the lid was engraved Samuel Riggs Bazoian, Moral Compass of Piner. So if that doesn't say that this man gets it, that Pashley totally gets it, um, it's so perfect. It's probably the best gift I'll ever receive. And I mean, I've got it with me and I'll carry it with me all the time, but that's how I became the Moral Compass of Piner. If, if we find ourselves at a crossroads and we need to decide, you know, do we go down this road or that road, we're, we're going to consult with the compass uh, to make sure that we don't veer kind of from the North Star, really. Some halftime reflections on Riggs' 99 days at Pinehurst. Once again, Sir Nick Faldo. How can you look at the room menu for the room service for 99 days? It's, it's bad enough for two days in a row, isn't it? When you like keep looking at uh, tomato soup, or shall I have the prawns? Quesadilla, okay, done that. And then you go to your ahahi tuna, and your chicken, and... And, that, and your bit of Sam, and that's it. I mean, you've seen the, seen the same menu for 99 days. What on earth was he doing in there? Meet Sheila Wilson, a grade school teacher, child psychologist, and bartender at the Pinecone, the mobile drink station that overlooks the cradle. Well, I mean, the, one thing I noticed, you know, he's crazy and he does all kind of crazy stuff. I love the fact that being an elementary teacher myself, I love when... He kind of switches gears when he sees young kids. Like, we've got a lot of local kids and a lot of members. The kids are out here playing. He approached he approached them. Uh, you know, every time there was a kid out here playing on the cradle, I love the fact that, you know, how's your golf? How's school? You know, stay with it, man. And, uh, you know, he really kind of switched. And um, I love how he approached the kids. Now, that impressed me. Pete Myers, the kid who took him out three and two on a couple of cool anecdotes and what has happened since his win. The Jonas Brothers were on the podcast talking about me, and I think that was pretty cool. Uh, I got a couple of college letters. It was awesome. And this whole process, it's it's just been an awesome experience. So, Mike, Pete's dad again. Yeah, so he... He was, he walked into this thing so open-minded. I mean, I can't tell you how many people we would run into who he gave his mobile number to. And they would say, I texted him today and, you know, he replies to them. And so it wasn't like this guy who just was too cool for, for school. I mean, he, he really kind of came in, with an open mind and, and became a part of the fabric of, of Pinehurst. What Riggs did was uh, super impactful. And I think he had a good time while he was down here too. Riggs on his content, the cradle and proper credit. They deserve proper exposure and proper excitement, right? And and I think that that's something that I'm able to convey is that like I'm not I'm not posting the stuff that I post because 
I feel this deep obligation to. I, I share things in my life that I experience and say, holy shit, this is so good, I have to share it. And like the cradle was something that I shared all the time because I just couldn't help it. I was like, people, the internet has to see this right now. Like they won't believe. It. And and so you're right. Like they they deserve that. And and the place really is that awesome and it never gets old. One more from Tom Pashley. After the first two months, we began to understand his nuances. And yeah, we, we were able to get under his skin and it became personal. And it was no longer the trophy hunt. It was no longer about what he shot, what his score was. It was just about the, the people that he met while he was here. And I love that. I, I really do love when I can tell people that, you know, they're real people that are working here, who are raising their families here, who have lives, who love Piners just as much as they do. And when we can convey that, when we can share that, and, and when you feel it, uh, you really kind of begin to understand what makes Pinehurst so special. And uh, some people, it happens in one day. Other people, it may take a week or it may take your third trip here. But at some point, uh, you, you connect with Pinehurst in a meaningful way. And, and clearly, that's what happened to Riggs. In part two, which will drop next week, a lot more on the tear-jerking chemistry between Riggs and Pashley, Riggs and Pinehurst, and of course, the Payne Stewart putt to beat Kevin Kisner. Anybody would, anybody who plays golf would kill for this chance. You're on, you know, you're, we had, I think we had at our peak 26,000 people watching live on Instagram live. You know, the video is going to get tons of views and we put the edited video out, which I think it has six, 700,000 views, something like that already on YouTube. Um, there are a couple hundred people there and you're not just playing against your Joe Schmo like weekend golf group. It's this is to beat Kevin Kisner. So it's like all of that. I think the Instagram poll that I put up when I said, um, who's going to win, us or Kiz, it said like 84% of people said Kisners. Are you looking for good value on great golf apparel? As a listener to this podcast, my friends John Ashworth and Jeff Cunningham at Link Soul in Oceanside, California, are offering you a 25% discount on all future orders of what I wear all day, every day, on and off the course. Whenever you go to linksoul.com, just use promo code Matty G25, M-A-T-T-Y-G-25. Thank you for listening to The Fire Pit. It's produced by Alex Upegi. It's edited by Rex Lint. The theme song is by Joe Horowitz. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we might track you down and send you one of our new Imperial Rope Hats. Got a question, comment, or a story for us to track down? You can find me on Twitter at Matt Janella or on Instagram at Matt underscore Janella. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to The Fire Pit on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to a story like this one. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is where we post portions of our podcast and add some visual surprises.